Hello, and welcome to Jen Frankel Reads Random Shit, the edition edition. This week on the edition edition, we have Kit Dabin with us, a writer of very many genres, but uh, primarily, I would say, fantasy, science fiction, horror. Uh, plus, um, she's a wonderful writer and a good friend of mine and has provided me some incredible editing services over the years as well. Uh, today on the Edition Edition, we are discussing a follow-up to the regular edition, which is talking about how to write a first line. If you haven't listened to the current episode in the beginning, how to write a first line. Maybe you'd like to go back and check that out. That is episode 2.1 of the Jeffers podcast. Otherwise, please join us now with the edition edition. Kit Dabin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Um, I just felt like it was really important to get you on first of all the people I know, just to just to get things going with a really smart wise and incredibly talented writer and wow. Wow. already i can already hear you blushing across the screen yes head. yes i was gonna ask you like why me first <laughs> you know but uh, <laughs> no well, it's 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 because i had your phone number Ah, there we go. Uh, that helps, been, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> can call it that way. <laughs> and it's really funny because, despite the fact that this is a um, a podcast this week about first lines, I actually neglected to write my own first lines and neglected to figure out how I wanted to start talking to you. So, in a way, this is exactly the way that sometimes you have to approach writing a first exactly. line of dialogue. Exactly. And I find when I. Um, when you write a story, you don't necessarily have to have that first line to, to, to begin writing. I will actually jump ahead and I'll have all my notes for the opening scene of a story and I'll get into the middle of it and I'll start writing and I'll worry about that first line later. You know <laughs> what I mean? That, I think that's pretty wise. Now, have you, yeah. is, is that something you've learned from experience? Uh, yeah, it's experience, but it's also um, if you want to keep going and you want to keep productive you have to find ways to bypass things if they're not coming to you. So if that first line is not coming to you, and quite frankly, once once we get into this discussion a little further, you'll find out why often that first line doesn't work and you have to go back and either fix it, change it, tweak it, um, is that you don't really know what that full story is going to turn into in the end. And you're not going to know what effect you want from that first line until you have the complete story captured. You know I what think, I mean? Oh, yeah, for yeah. certain. And I think a lot of people must get, no, no, have you been that way yourself? Have you actually gotten hung up on starting a story and just not been able to get into it at all because you're worried about that first line? If the only reason why a story is not coming out, it's usually because I don't have enough information. I haven't developed a character enough. I don't know enough about the scene. I do never, ever let first lines hang me up. Ever. That's great. That's great. I just don't. Yeah, and I don't let last lines stop me either because I'll often write past a last line and not realize I've written past the last line and I'll go back and I'll be like, Oh, there it is. And then delete everything else, you know, and I'm good, <laughs> you know? So but well, that kind of matches one of my philosophies of, of writing good scenes. Um, because I, I think I do the same thing, just even scene to scene where I've, I've written a scene and 
when I write it, I want to get everything I possibly can into that scene. So often I'll realize later that just dramatically, just for the reader's sake, I want to actually start it a lot later and get out of it a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the same way with the book too. You um, you don't often you don't often know exactly what the entire shape of the book is going to be, and sometimes an original first line isn't going to even match what you want for the effect of the whole book. Exactly. And you know, there are times too, like this happened with The Other Castle, which is my <laughs> second book in the Xenosy trilogy, and I had this really interesting first line, and I was like, oh, this is a really great way to open the book. And it was this, it's a character, and he's saying, this castle holds secrets, right? I thought that was brilliant, <laughs> right. you know? Because it, it was one of those first lines that um, resonates with the overall theme of the story. And uh, what I ended up doing is I ended up writing that scene, but later when I did revisions, I realized it's not the first line. Uh, I didn't like it as a first line anymore. And so that first line now was really more of a prompt to write the book. Right. And and it got pushed down a little further on in the first chapter. It's still there, that quote, that dialogue by the character. But the, the story, um, the novel opens up differently now. Um, and that's something, of course, you, you know, you change your mind about elements and things. And you realize that you want a different effect or you want a better read in. Um, sometimes that first line may seem really uh, effective and... At, at first, and then you realize, oh, you don't want to, as dramatic a, an opening as you thought when you first started. Well, I was struck by the way that um, that the Forgotten Gemstone, the first of the Zinzi books, opens. Um, and I remember, I remember thinking this when I first read it. This was the first piece of yours that I actually I, uh, that I actually read it all, all together. Um, and it starts with your main character, Ule. Uh, who, who you haven't met yet, whose name you don't know until the middle of the first page. But the first line is, a young woman crawled from the middle of a megalithic lily. And then it goes on. And then it goes yeah. on. She stood upright, her heels resisting the hard coldness of a thick petal which had once been pliant and warm. Scanning the desert, she winced at the horizon where the rising sun kissed a waking world, making the sand blush. How disgusting, she thought, that something inanimate could express such intimation. Um, yeah, and it's lovely. Like, you, um, and it's lovely, and it's also not intrusive. It's not the kind of line where you feel like you're either being being told, "I'm in the middle of an action scene," which is right, right, which is definitely. A, I mean, it's definitely a way of starting something, or something where you're where the writer is so obviously trying to craft a memorable first line that you're actually distracted by it. Exactly. Um, I, I actually take it, get ready for this interview. I, I pulled off a lot of books off my, off my shelf books that I liked and um, started reading all the first lines. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's so many different ways to use a first line. You know, you can have thematic resonance. You can have some uh, the thematic resonance wrapped in a declarative statement, like, you know, um, you can have um, it introducing a character's personality. You can be setting a tone or or a mood or an, uh, a setting, even. And I found for me the first lines that really draw me into a book right away are the ones that elicit questions. And usually it's the the WTF question, like "What the fuck?" <laughs> you can censor that. 
I take my my uh, my iTunes profanity rating very seriously and make sure that we actually make sure that we do, we earn it every time. So <laughs> so that Good. is that is absolutely fine. Yeah. So I like those opening lines that make me go, what? No, what's going on here? Like, like just to give you an example, um, I have a book here by Clive Barker called Mr. Be Gone. And the very first line in the book, in fact, the very first paragraph is just one sentence. And the sentence has three words. And it's basically burn this book. <laughs> All right. And, and when you read on, you find out that the person talking to you is actually trapped in the book you're holding. And that the person you're speaking to is a demon. And, and, and it's a really intriguing concept. And it, it was one of those books that really drew me in when I read it. And that, that's effective first line right there. I mean, not, how many people can pull that off, right? In, in three <laughs> words, you know? <laughs> that's great. So are you actually being tempted to burn the book because you are, because by saying burn this book, you're actually tempted to, to not burn it or? Well, in the beginning, you, you think no, this is, the book, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Because it's very leading in the beginning because you don't know who you're talking to or who's talking to you. And then you find out they're a demon and you're like, yeah, I'm still curious. Right. <laughs> and you keep going. And this demon's trying to warn you. He's warning you and he's warning you. And, and you just get pulled deeper and deeper into his chaos. And yeah. It's a, I've, it's I've never believed that idea that uh, that the devil's greatest trick was making you think he didn't exist. The devil's greatest trick is making you know he exists and make you want to cozy up to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So when I was doing the uh, Forgotten Gemstone, I, I had that in mind. I wanted something that was going to be like, oh, what? How does, you know, who's this girl that's crawled out of a megalithic lily? How can she do that? It, was, it asks a lot of questions, you know, and, and that, that's an effective first line as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And it also, uh, what you're saying about character. Um, um, yeah, introducing and, character. And you got me actually thinking. Um, there's, uh, there's an element in Ule that I don't know if I really saw that much of or that, that I don't think I... I experienced as fully. I mean, poor Ule. I mean, uh, the people will have to actually read the book to find this out. But uh, Ule has uh, Ule has her personality ripped away from her to some extent. Yes. And that element of almost condescension or of separation that she shows right off the very beginning is uh, it's something that that she doesn't get to keep in a way. No, no, not really. Oh, she's it's her. It's an unusual story arc, um, and it's oh yeah, had, had it, it's had its challenges, and uh, <laughs> it's always always interesting too to hear other people's take on it. Because um, uh, I know for some people who have read the book, they they don't think much of her in the first one hundred pages of the book. They don't like her until she is actually more human, humanistic. Um, and less of a god, right. and that that's that's very interesting, I should say, as a as a writer. Um, well, I have to say, I don't think I really got to grips with Ule myself until um, until we get her into uh, the Zinisi world, until we actually see her interacting with her own people. Yes, yeah. and that happens quite a bit later in the book, does it? 
A little bit, but you know, think about this. You have a, 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 a being who's godlike, who has been incarcerated as a young child by her own people. She has no connection to those people. She's in a world that used to comfort her, but it's changed so much that she doesn't recognize it anymore. Mm -hmm. She has no connection to that either. Um, she's, this is what I like about her. Like, she yeah. makes she makes total sense to me. Like she she was a a real person from the moment that I met her for certain. Mm -hmm. But um, was there ever a time when you thought you might actually start off or go to the Zinnisi world, or I guess the where uh, to to her people sooner? Or um, I, I'm um, I, I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, Overly, overly so of the uh, prologue. I tend okay. to prologue everything. <laughs> All right. See, I and didn't want to do a prologue. Yeah, yeah I didn't want to do a prologue. That's a choice. The, the interesting thing is that my original first draft actually starts with Ule in um, the isolation chamber that looks like a void, and she's being punished, and she's lost her memory. Now. If you recall that scene in the book as it is now, that, that got shifted to chapter 10. Right. Right. So this is a story that had a different beginning when I started, and then I changed it uh, because I found it was probably too much for people to get right off the bat um, and try to get people to feel for her without understanding what she is, why she's there, where she's come from. And uh, so I had I ended up adding on uh, a bit of narrative. And so that first line, like my original first line for the novel in the first draft was, uh, um, where is it? It's um, she sat in a strange place struggling to remember how she had come to be there. And it, it just it still works for that scene, but not for the book. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. for the book, that would have made it far more generic in a way, because there are other books that would start that way. But exactly. at the time, with her not having a, with not having the memory of who she was, it becomes even more generic because she doesn't know, we don't know. Um, I love, I actually love the way that you started the book. Um, I always have, and I, I, I'm, I'm amazed at, at how different it would be if you had started it that way. So this is a case where you actually had a way into the book okay. and, then, and then chose not only not to use that at the beginning, but chose to actually wait until it was supported by our knowledge of the character. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because how can you have compassion for someone going through something if you don't know anything about who they are, where they come from, what drives them? And I needed to establish that yeah. before before that scene. And it was a key scene because that's the scene that inspired the whole novel and trilogy to begin with. You really? Know? Yeah, I wrote this this very brief uh, two-page scene of a child god being punished in a void, having your memories taken away, and, and being forced to remember her true purpose, which was to create. And I had wrote it years ago, years ago, like before I even started writing The Forgotten Gemstone, and I had thrown it away in a drawer. And after a conversation with a friend of mine out west about how even later in life we, we can get away from ourselves and we need to find ways to get back to ourselves, um, I came across that, 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 that scene. And 
sure enough, it kind of the conversation I had with my friend gelled with the idea and the scene. And I said, I got to write this story now. That's I understand. Amazing. I understand what, what, what this, where this story is supposed to go and what it's, what it's about. So, and it is, it's, and it is, it's the, the transformation of, of who we are as people, and who we are in the inside. And the idea of there being, uh, uh, something that's temporary about us, but also something that's permanent. And I would even argue even the permanent stuff isn't as permanent as we think it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's transformative anyway. It yes. could be permanent, but it might not have the same form as it did. No. And that's really great, too, because if, if, in that very first paragraph that I read, you're looking at um, Ella Chevera. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Excellent. Ah, wow, very good. I'm getting better. And this is even without a glossary. This is with this is with no with no uh, with no pronunciation chart in the book. Just just intimate access to the actual author. Well, you know, that's cheating, right. That's cheating. Yeah. Well, also, this is something that I find interesting is that a lot of people come up to me and they're not sure about how to say Ule's name. It's actually in the book several times on how, like within the story on how to say her name and uh, the same with Ella Chevra as well. You know, I so. still remember the story about JK Rowling having a young fan come up to her and say that her favorite character was Fermi one. <laughs> yes. I've heard and that. Of course, of course, without, without knowing that very venerable British name, how on earth would you know? Yes. Yeah. Like how many people are called Hermione, right? <laughs> oh, I probably just offended every Hermione in Britain and uh, <laughs> the UK. <laughs> That's all right. As we know, Hermione's are strong and plucky and would not necessarily feel too offended or at least be able to defend themselves against you. Um, but that, that's, um, I'm, I'm so we're spending a lot of time on the first, the first line of the first book, but, um, what you were saying about, about the, um, about the other castle starting with initially with that castle has secrets idea. Yeah. yeah. You've actually really nailed the theme of the forgotten gemstone in that first, then that first paragraph with what you were talking about, the idea of permanence and, and Ella Chevra was, was a God. And, and is now and, dead. And is yeah. dead. Yeah. But it's is still there but transforms. So you're actually you're actually yeah. encapsulating that theme just in that first paragraph and, and until you actually read the whole book you would have no idea that that's what that's what it's about, which is ideally what your theme statement would do. Yeah. It's what's interesting about writing, I find anyway, um, is you when you're focused and you really understand the themes that you're exploring and the characters and what drives them and how everything kind of fits together because you just don't have characters who are knocking around on a set. The characters are, are connected to the setting and the setting is connected to characters and the world building is connected to everything. And it, if, if everything is connected, then these things happen in your brain as you're right. And, and they come out unintentionally in a very subconscious way. And it makes the writing cohesive. It makes everything feel like it belongs, even if you don't include everything that you have in your notes. Um, and it's almost automatic as you write, I find, anyway. And, and so that's why when I write and I'm, I, I am not, the words aren't flowing, I know I'm missing something in that connection. Right, right. right. I entirely understand that. And uh, and I think that's 
very telling when a story isn't working as you're a reader, that that there is something missing from that connection, that, that it's not necessarily about you being connected to the characters of the story. I don't really need to be intimately... In, uh, I don't need to be to have intimate knowledge that's empathetic or that that is no, pers- personal to my to the characters in a book. Right. But they have to have their own like vast internal logic where everything that everything that's that's that I I get to learn about them is inherently true because it's inherently true for the writer. Right. Right. So anyway, first slides. Um, you know. Uh, in a lot of instances, like I have examples where I've started a first a story with a first line or a first paragraph, and you mentioned it early in the show, a Cannibal's Handbook. Yeah. Um, that paragraph, regardless of how many revisions I've done of that story, has been the same and has never been altered. So you know, sometimes Mark, yeah. Did I actually like, read it? Did I read it off screen or did I read it? Uh, I can't did I read remember. It, I can't remember if I read it during this or not. I don't think I did for some reason, but. Uh, but you're, you're, this is how you meet your character too, which is the great thing. Like that this is a, this is a story told in first person in very much in this person's voice. Yes. So it starts off and, and, and I don't know why, but I always put on this accent when I think of her. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I wonder if I've actually heard you do that or if I just, if it's just that the voice is so strong and clear. I mean, I can read it. I can, I can give it a try. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the can- a cannibal's handbook starts off this way. He was a tall one, must have been six foot seven, maybe six foot eight or nine, a stinky fellow who reeked of urine and whiskey and I don't know, something that smelled sour and rancid. Curdled milk, maybe? His was the kind of fowl you could smell a mile away, the kind to give you the creeps, warning you to stay clear long before your paths crossed. Mattered none to me. A cannibal's a cannibal, and that's so, been the same. It's line. been the same for every every revision, yeah. and I I do have plans to um, have the story professionally edited, and so I will be revisiting it again, and I don't know if I will be touching it then either, <laughs> you know, because I love the way uh, it has this kind of double double hook in it. So there's, he was a tall one, which is, who was a tall one? What was he? Was it a man? Is it something else? You know, so that propels you along. And then at the very end of that paragraph, you learn it's a cannibal. And then it's like, what the fuck? There it is, that what the fuck moment again. And and then on the same time, so you're introduced to this kind of um, the subject matter of the story, which is cannibalism, and the main character. So... You know, your opening lines don't have to do just one thing. They can do many things uh, if you choose, you know. When already with that first line, um, I was already catapulted into a, into a world that I thought might be some kind of post-apocalyptic place, might be some kind of just fantasy place that was off or, or someplace in our world that was so far off the beaten track that it was possible for people to be Hannibals. So I didn't know. But at the same time, I remember thinking when I when I read it the first time that this already was more frightening than any kind of zombie fiction because there was implicit in that calling him a cannibal is that he's still human. Yeah. That in, that in some way he's not a mindless transformed monster who can't help eat people. This is somebody who possibly has chosen to eat people. 
Yeah. So yeah. there's a there's a level of horror there that was that was quite visceral <laughs> and quite wonderful. Yeah. And you know, again, it was uh, one of those uh, years ago. Again, years ago, I um, had, this voice came into my head, and I just sat down, and I didn't know what the story was or where it was going to go. And I wrote about a page, maybe two pages, of just this woman talking about this cannibal that she encountered. <laughs> and um, I ended up putting it aside for many, many years. And when I came back to it, I was just like, yeah, there's something here. And I love that voice. And that voice came right back into me again, like I was channeling someone. And I I just started and I kept writing. And I, I was like, oh, okay, I've got, a, I've got another story in my hands here. And yeah. So she is particularly real, uh, <laughs> <laughs> even with uh, even with your characterization that I always find just exquisite. She is one of my favorite characters, just just on the level of of her gumption. And I, I was going to say moxie and then realized it's far too, you know, effete and pretty a word for her. But yeah, she's she's not a pretty person. No, no but um, gumption is. Yeah, gumption's good. She's a survivalist, you know. And, oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the the first lines are funny. They they can be wonderful prompts for stories. Um, you might keep them. You might not. I, I have a prompt for a story that I'm still working on that um, it's the same line. I just revised the punctuation so I could change the emphasis and the tone. Right. But it's still the same concept. And um that happens. And sometimes you just look at it and go, no, no, you're reading and reading uh, like I did with one of your stories recently, Miss um, Mundy Tulane, um, where the first line I found was a little too far down. Right. And, and I got you to push it back up again. And yeah. And not only that, but I think uh, I think you also were the one who got me to to bring it into the present instead of making it something that was in the past tense and in yes. the passive voice. So instead of it being, instead of it being about something that we were reflecting on, it was right there in the moment. It was the scene. Yeah. In the action of that scene. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I was on the right track, but it really required somebody else's eyes to, uh, to get me to that point. Right. right. Do you have any last words about first lines? Uh, don't force them. Um, don't force them and um, just you don't need them to start writing a story. They're great prompts. I actually online, there are uh, websites where you can go to and they're, they're um, first line generators and you can get these first lines to help as prompts to write your story, but they don't have to be your first lines. You know, in the end, I hope that people will, will come up with their own first lines and um, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. Um, and I got to stop saying, um, <laughs> it's okay. I think I did it a lot more than you. Uh, we'll just consider that another form of uh, profanity that we should be editing out of the podcast. Maybe I'll just, I'll I keep so. all the ums. I think so. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, so where, where can we, uh, where can we find you online? Online? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I am on, I have my own website at kitdavin.com. I, I didn't want to give people your phone number is what I'm oh, saying. Oh, okay. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, so no I'm, I'm available at kitdavin.com. I'm on Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook, and I'm also on Instagram. Uh, I uh, have actually stepped back from social media a little bit over the past year and feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and where can we buy your books? 
you could, well, here's the funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing I asked. Oh my gosh. So I, as I, maybe this isn't a, a topic for another show, but as everyone who has, is published through CreateSpace, do you know that there's been a big merger between CreateSpace and KDP's um, Kindle Publishing Direct? And uh, so right now you can get most of my stuff on Amazon. So all my books are on Amazon and you can buy the print books for the Xenosy trilogy through Amazon. Okay. But when it comes to things like a cannabis handbook, spider spun, I don't have print editions available, but you should be able to find them on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, all the big merchandise, uh, like booksellers online. So you should be able to find them there. Um, chapters. You know, so yeah. Um, does that help? I'm, I'm that, a little that confused. That helps a lot. Yeah. Like, I'll, no. I'll tell you, there's been so much going on because uh, there's the, all this this front, like the front stuff, like podcasts. To me, are, are the in the forefront of indie publishing and in for for writers. And then there's all this back end, and in the back end, I've been migrating books from Smashwords to Draft to Digital. I've been merging mi- migrating books from CreateSpace to KDP and trying to kind of get my my business streamlined at the same time. So there's been a lot going on and I've lost track. I don't know where my books are. <laughs> we, we will at least do a show on that. Now, if people go to your website, can they track down your books easily that way? Yes, they can. And okay. I, yeah. So yeah, let's just forget about sending people to Amazon. We'll just send them to you. All right. So I do have to do, uh, uh, probably double check and make sure all my, uh, my buy links are up to date. <laughs> It's been a crazy year, but you yeah, don't don't worry because uh, uh, it'll be at least a week before the show comes out. So you've got yeah. you've got some lead time. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Thank you so much, Kit Davin. It was great thank having you here today. Uh, KitDavin.com. Check her out on Amazon, and uh, we will um, we'll be back uh, at some point with episode two, which is going to be on um, monologues. Monologues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you because it's fun to talk to yourself. If you like a good Clive Barker book, um, the Mister Be Gone is an entire monologue. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, Kit Davin, thank you for talking to us about uh, First Lines today. Thank you for having uh, me. And uh, please keep reading, writing, and sharing your work. Okay, great.